Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Dunkin', we're getting ready for sunnier days with our Sunrise Batch Iced Coffee. A bright and balanced iced coffee with notes of cocoa, tangy sweetness, and toasted nuts. Made to brighten every day a little more. Soak in the sunshine a little more. And fill every moment with a little more, more. Because we aren't just chasing sunsets anymore. We're counting sunrises too. Do more with Dunkin' Sunrise Batch Iced Coffee. Brewed for brighter days. Enjoy a medium for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hurry into Mattress Firm. For a limited time, save up to $500 when you get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchases up to a $4.99 value. Or get up to 60% off America's top-rated brands like Sealy Queen mattresses starting at $279.99 or Sleepies at $169.99. In stock for fast delivery only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. Oh, I'm never nice. That's just that never happens. Never, never, never nice. And of course, <laughs> we are joined by the one and only, the master of the ones and twos, Fast Eddie Lane. I was asked if I would like to be a judge for the next UFC pay per view, but after the after the debacle that occurred last night, <laughs> ain't no way. So that's an interesting way to start us off. What is the deal here? So apparently, during the women's fight. Uh, judges during UFC's most recent event just decided, eh, we're going to hop on our cell phones and we're not going to watch the fight. Exactly. Go ahead. (laughs) So, go ahead. uh, I didn't watch it, but what exactly did they do? That's just it. They didn't do anything. They didn't pay attention to the active fight. They'd yeah. look up from their phones every once in a while. And during the main event for the light heavyweight championship, Dominic Reyes and um, John Bones Jones put on a clinic for five rounds. And it was the tale of two cities. Because, But I'm going to be brutally honest. Jones did not win that fight on my scorecard. Reyes came out flying and for the, I mean, first and second round, especially now I could see if somebody wants to go 50, 50 or a split on three. And then Jones pretty much cardio took over strategy took over and four was closer to, um, closer to a definite Jones, much less a toss up and five was Jones. But for the one judge in particular who scored four to one, Jones versus Reyes on the points for the um, for the rounds. This guy's smoking some crack that you won't find anywhere. <laughs> so I gotta ask because all the time you see these judges with these crazy ass scores. I, I never got it in boxing. I still don't get it in UFC. How exactly do you score a fight? Is it like most punches connected? You get five points. I mean, like seriously, how does that actually okay. get scored? There are a number of different factors, and a lot of it comes down to the word control. 
How well do you control the octagon? How much offense are you on? When you are forced to go on defense, how well do you defend against a person coming in? Quality strikes, of course, do matter. Takedowns matter. Takedown defense. Takedown escape. What you do, um, how aggressive are you while you got your opponent on the ground after a takedown? So basically I mean, what you're telling me is it's the equivalent to the NWA judges during a world championship match. No, Patty Mullet is not part of this. <laughs> and, and Jason Hervey. <laughs> Hervey was a wrestling fan. <laughs> Jason Hervey is actually still a wrestling fan. So I can kind of, I'm not going to defend, but I can justify. Well, okay, fine. I, no, I, I, I back away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. There's uh, some conspiracy, some controversy floating about today. There's, hey, psh, the XFL is back. Pretty yeah. cool. We're going to talk about a little bit about that. We, we don't have a ton of game stuff that we can really talk about because uh, yesterday, of course, was the major move for me, so... Brian was helping me out. Rob was helping me out. Uh, Rob, by the way, is out with family this evening. So, um, But, yeah, so we were doing that yesterday. And then today I watched about a quarter's worth of the New York Guardians against Tampa Bay Vipers. Is that what it is? Yeah, Randy Orton's team. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And now I'll <laughs> never watch the Vipers. <laughs> Just like I never watched Randy. <laughs> anyway. Remember... <laughs> Remember, you're on defense for Tampa, for the Tampa Bay Vipers. It could be an INT out of nowhere. Jesus. <laughs> there it is. Damn it. <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> he got you. <laughs> he did. He did. But I thought it would be best to actually lead off with um, the, the controversy of the week. Uh, I guess. AEW's 10 lashes. Oh, now, God. Um, when you talk about the the abuse that Cody Rhodes and, uh, and, and all of these guys in AEW have taken just along the way just to set up for rev- revolution, it's really been something. But when you talk about yeah, uh, 10 lashes with a leather belt from MJF and Wardlow, uh yeah, the first question I would say to you guys would be, did you think that this was dramatic enough or too much? Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Eddie. Eddie, what did you think? I think the way they're going right now, they're genuinely proving Hunter and Vince right. That they're relying too much on blood and guts and okay. shock factor. Um, they just... I'm going to join the consensus that it was uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I wasn't a fan of it. I really was not. I mean, I understand that in the storyline between MJF and Cody, that they're trying to genuinely help build the true heel heat for MJF. And, from there, they're also trying to continue to build the sympathy for Cody. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point <coughs> where you hit that. You can either say you hit that plateau, you hit the glass ceiling, ceiling zero, you cross that line. And I mean, I'm not going to be that person. I'm just going to sit back and say those who said it was uncomfortable to watch after a point, they weren't wrong. 
Dan? I mean, it's it's one of those things where when you have hmm, when you have a violent scenario that's happening, you only have but so many choices that you can do, especially with this type of setup, this type of uh, feud or, or rivalry. You've got to make sure that people are in and they're really dialed in because, of course, the goal is to sell tickets, whether it's live attendance or, you know, pay-per-view buys. So the goal here is to generate as much controversy controversy as you can, um, but at the same time to make sure that you are pulling in more of a a broad span instead of just one niche audience. Um, Brian, what, what do you think, sir? Too much? Not enough? Uh, so... I'm not quite sure uh, why this is really that big of a deal in my mind. Mm-hmm. Because if we flash forward to the late 90s on in the 2000s, we were all kind of glued to extreme matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we've all watched king of the death matches and most of us at the end of the day we just rolled on with it now maybe it's because we haven't really had this type of thing in a while on national tv well yeah on 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 really any tv other than you know the like the the light bulb thing you know most people aren't exposed to this anymore extreme is kind of gone not really by the wayside, but it's in the back burner. Right. If, if that makes sense. And now, whether intentional or unintentional, AEW is just kind of putting the blood and guts back out there. And, <clears throat> you know, for me, growing up on the, the you know, the Mid-South and more Southern wrestling uh, you know, I guess I'm just kind of used to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> granted, I'll have to admit I did cringe a time or two mm-hmm. because some of those shots were, holy cow, some right. of them were, um, uh, I, you know, it, it, it's times like that that make me wonder how he composes himself. You know what I'm saying? How does he just not turn around, take that belt, and just like lay it across somebody's face? Because <laughs> they, I mean, they were vicious, and the after effects were even worse. Yeah, and some of <laughs> a little bit high. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you saw the pictures. I saw but, some. Yeah, some of the pictures. It looks like there must be two or three that literally go across his neck. Yeah, into the bottom of his skull, and then you have, of course, all the bad ones on the right side. So, I. But again, for me, as long as it makes sense in the story, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, I, I don't really need to see that on a regular basis. But again, if if you're telling the story for me and it's taking me from point A to point B, 
and I know there might be a point C further down the line. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think he got too terribly crazy for me personally. Well, I think what the <coughs> the general consensus is is that okay, this is really a, a violent kind of thing, and it, it is, no, no doubt. I mean, if you're gonna basically get flogged there on national television with a uh, leather strap, then all right, yeah, I'll give you that. But at the same time, remember that in the same in the same night's show, um, Mox stabbed someone in the eye. <laughs> I mean, previous weeks, Mox was stabbed in the eye. Um, and then, you know, if we just want to, like Brian was talking about, go back, how about, uh, oh, I don't know, Dusty getting stabbed in the eye. I mean, it's... Guys, we we live in a world where, you know, we can see World War Three break out on television and see it on whatever news channel you decide and, and literally watch it like it's pay-per-view. So I don't know that a guy being in the ring, especially in a storyline type mode, um, I mean, he took 10 lashes from a belt that was, yeah, there were times where it was like, oh, you know, Wardlow lays in this one shot that, first off, reverberates off the camera. It's just loud as hell. It's like crackling of lightning. And just watching Cody sell it, which I was telling Brian yesterday, didn't take much for Cody to do a good sell job. Like, it wasn't like, oh, that's not real. No. <laughs> you don't get that excuse this time. This was a, ouch. It was, it was bad. Yeah, uh, something tells me there was not a lot of selling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of uncomfortable moments, don't forget about speaking of dynamite, uh, the moment where Britt Baker and Yuka Sakazaki had that situation with uh, Yuka's mouth on the rope and, of course, making it look like she's bleeding from the mouth and then the tooth comes out and then the uh, gag reflex or whatever Britt Baker's finishing move is. Um, crack no, jaw. That's her promo. Had, that's her promo. That's the gag reflex. Oh, okay. Just I let's remember, Britt may be fairly new at this. Give her time. <laughs> well, in six months, if Britt's still gag reflex, then. Well, yeah, maybe she's just not, you know. But uh, I, AEW I, is Carmella. I was actually more shocked over that one, I guess, because I never, I didn't see it coming. Right. Then, then Cody. You know, when she when she had her her, her mouth on the rope, it was kind of like, uh, what what's about to happen here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what? What? Wait! Wait a second. Are we having a George Steele flashback or Mad Dog Bashan? Yeah, it was. It, it was like, you know. It, all right, so I, you know, of course, we know the tooth didn't really come out because you can see in the follow-up photos that the teeth are blackened, right? And I'm sure next week she'll have her teeth fixed and all that good stuff. So I make Britt Baker fix them, <laughs> yeah, right for free. <laughs> but it, it was kind of like getting back to what I said earlier about in you know in the '80s you would see stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, and you you wouldn't even see it coming, um, you know, especially with like the horsemen around. And to me, it was kind of that, like, wait, wait, no, don't you do it. Don't you. Oh, she did it. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. 
And I don't, I don't know. I kind of dug it. I, you know, I thought it was other than catching the referee putting the item into said mouth. Yeah. Which I guess they should probably work on that. Yeah, that was pretty nasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was like, oh, this, wow, this is a different side of Britt Baker. She was so abrupt with her with her jump, right? So she tries to do it subtly against Riho, and it doesn't really come out. You know, it doesn't go over. And then they are on the cruise, and she insults Tony Schiavone, telling him that he's a crappy barista. Which was like, what? The? <laughs> Just like Tony said, what the? F-? <laughs> it was out of nowhere, and, and then you're just like, well, okay, I guess they're they did it. They're they're going with it. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I mean, you can't knock them for it though. They need solid heel women there because you got a lot of good guys there. A lot of a lot of heroes. And we don't mean Brandy Rhodes. No. Yeah, way to go, people. Y'all killed that storyline so quickly. We never even got to see it materialize. How dare y'all do that to poor Brandy? I just don't think Brandy... Well, now let me word this right, because I don't think it's really Brandy's fault. I don't think that collectively... See what I did there? I don't think that Brandy and whoever she was working with as an agent for creative on that thought through how the fans would react because like one minute they're cutting the hair and you're like, okay, I can see this. This is a little twisted. And then all of a sudden she's doing all these videos that are not really airing on dynamite. So fans, unless they're tuned in, like the people that watch being the elite, they're not really following what's happening. So there just wasn't any progression. I mean, I can see that, but I think it that is just boils down to, hey, we want everybody to, you know, go out there and give it give it the old college try, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> let's let's see what you can come up with. And I think that might have been a little bit of that. maybe a little bit of that involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that she will continue to to grow as a performer because she's just, she's got nothing but time and she is actually very talented. So I, I would just say that this was just something that just didn't work. Well, I, I think the other thing maybe too is the fact that, uh, I guess Kong is going back to film the what fourth mm-hmm. and final season. I think this is the final season of uh glow. What a great show that has been, by the way. Yes, but where does it go from here, though? That's the bad part. What's what are we going to get in this next season? Mm, maybe Steel Horse makes his return. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Not an Alex Riley fan. <laughs> Come on, everybody likes Alex Riley. <laughs> no, okay. Except for Disco. <laughs> Except for who? Disco. Ah, well, yeah. Or John Cena. John Cena doesn't like Alex Riley either. Um, so, of course, uh, in addition to the uh, stuff that happened with <clears throat> Cody and his ten lashes, um, they they tried to 
play it off like a fan attacked MJF, but we later would find out that it was actually Kazarian. So apparently reports are that Kazarian felt like somebody needed to go after MJF for for the actions uh, that he caused, but it wasn't planned, and uh, that was why the camera work was just so um, shaky would be the best way I'd word it. Well, if they can play off the phantom punches, I think we can probably play off this. Join the Dark Order. (laughs) I don't think it'd be too hard either. You know, Kazari and Cody are friends. Yeah, I mean... You know, have them show up next week and explain it. And you could have a new little dynamic between Cody and and having a new potential partner down the line. Yeah. Yep, or MJF in EC3 when he shows up. You know, oh, wow. the SCU versus, uh, God, what would you call him? The three-letter words? <laughs> no, you can't call him that. It has to be a dignified one. <laughs> well, they're both three, three, or three letters or whatever. Three initials, there we go. MJF and EC3. <laughs> three-letter word. <laughs> and people would have a, a fit trying to make up something for that. Yeah. So we should also mention, too, you want to do ratings? Since you're all up on AEW right now. Oh, you mean their rankings? No, ratings for the week. Oh. Uh, uh, that yeah, both shows actually went up. Yeah, we're finally seeing audience growth. It's about damn time, by the way. Um, but let me go ahead and pull this up. Oh, AEW announces their own Choose Your Own Adventure game. Well, there you go, Brian. That's the uh, report we were talking about earlier. What? Okay, so this just in <laughs> from our friends what? over at uh, <clears throat> LordsOfPain.net, official partner of Quarter to Corner. Um, <laughs> AEW on Instagram has turned the page into a choose-your-own-adventure mobile game for fans. The game starts out with fans picking which wrestler they want to go find to continue their quest. Uh, fans choose to, can choose to start with Cody, Britt Baker, John Moxley, or AEW champion Chris Jericho. The next move will depend on which wrestler you choose to visit first. The rules for the game read like this. You are trying to become an AEW wrestler. Through a series of interlinked Instagram carousel posts and accounts... You will, you will make choices that either lead you to your ultimate goal of being an all-elite wrestler or fail miserably. Swipe left to choose your next move or path by going to the tagged Instagram account. Then swipe through the post on the following account to pick your next move by doing it again. Will you become a famous all-elite wrestler? Oh, okay. So it's not a mobile game per se. It's actually through Instagram. What a smart idea. And where can one go? this so if you go to aew on tnt the instagram account for aew Mm -hmm. you can play this choose your own adventure game Mm. dirty rotten scoundrels (laughs) now you have to get on instagram brian (laughs) yes i don't have to post though That's true. That's you can just you can just watch. They're totally fine with that. 
All right, so let me pull up the ratings from this past week, and we'll talk about how NXT and AEW fared. <clears throat> you know the cool thing about Google? Is you can mm-hmm. literally pull the ratings at the drop of a hat. It doesn't even take any real effort anymore. Except when you want the most up-to-date readings. <clears throat> of course! <laughs> Here we go to viewership. All right. Uh, da, da, da. Really? Really, guys? We're just not going to... I didn't hear you, would you? This is what happens when Wikipedia goes wrong. <laughs> There's so many things in, in your wrestling knowledge that go wrong sometimes. It's fair. It's fair. Me and CageMatch.net, we don't have a lot of fun. <laughs> Especially not when people you're interviewing find out that that's where you're getting your information because you tell them. But I bought the shirt! Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. February 5th, <laughs> NXT and AEW. Total viewership count. AEW, of course, wins the week at 928,000. NXT with 770,000. So, for your mathematicians over there, that is growth... Of the total viewing audience. Now it's not huge. So we're not talking like dramatic growth. But what we are seeing here. Is finally an uptick in the right direction. With viewership for wrestling in general. On a Wednesday night. So just doing some quick math. That's a total viewership. And this of course is live ratings that we're looking at. But 1.698 million viewers. So that, tip of the cap to both companies. And uh, hey, a huge tip of the cap for AEW for maintaining their lead uh, since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Although it is hard to, you know, really blame anybody because over on NXT, you got Charlotte Flair. Challenging Rhea Ripley. But not really. Okay, um, I'll say it. I don't like it. I, I'm not opposed to Charlotte Flair wrestling Rhea Ripley. I'm sure that match would be good. But I don't get it. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Why? Why should we care about Rhea Ripley and Charlotte? Why is that a big deal? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so remember... Um, some time ago when, God, we all found out that NXT was going to Wednesday night on national TV and we were all like, well, let's hope we don't mix superstars. And I told you I would when they hit the panic button. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see that. I don't, I don't think this is going to be a passing fad like AJ and the club was, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see this quite a bit more often. Eddie, where do you stand on this? Do you think that NXT is hitting the panic button at this point? I think Vince McMahon has ingrained into his staff the world's shortest temperament for what is going on with the company. 
If you've ever noticed, and folks, here's the fun part to, to figure out on this one. How many times have we watched Raw or SmackDown, Heat CW or WWE CW, um, or any of the other products that have they've tried to... <laughs> Wait a minute, hang story. on. You said Heat CW? Yeah, I did. That might be my favorite one so far, by the way. Nice Thank job. You. <clears throat> I somebody else I used it before I did. I just did WWE CW first. Now, Vince McMahon is the world's worst. Because remember, folks, no matter what you sit back and say, you can tweet your displeasure, you can call your friend Mark and um, complain about it on social media. Hi, Triple H. Remember that promo? <clears throat> That's uh, Paul to you, sir. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I can I can do that, too. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> but Vince has the world's worst habit of jumping the gun and pulling the trigger on something or changing a plan in midstream. Oh, they'll never know. Want to bet genius. And for as many things as Vince has gotten right, you have a situation where it's like, all right, I need something to go. Paul, we're going to put NXT on USA. We're going to give me 50 mil and we're going to put the very best on there and everybody else can hold up because they're not coming up yet. When you change the formula for something, dear Coca-Cola, thank you for not screwing up Coke anymore. We well, cannot take that same Coke. letter. Well, they remember, okay, I'm older than you. And I remember when Coca-Cola became New Coke. So do I. Coca-Cola, which held 99.4% of the soda market, decided, hey, we're going to change our taste to taste like Pepsi that only has 0.6% of the market. Now, I don't know if they're, I doubt they're going to go in. because Remember, they took Finn Balor and put him full time on NXT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had nothing to do. <laughs> nothing for you in creative, sir. What the heck? Yeah, really. I've got nothing for creative right now. Ugh. Oh, better yet. I'll just do this. Hey, creative, you're next. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you had to bring it there, didn't you? You had to bring it there. I was waiting on SmackDown. We didn't have to go to that, but okay. How about that? Goldberg. The Advertised it. No, Goldberg advertised all the way through the show when it's a video clip. Hi, Dwayne. Right. Live via satellite. It's... Who is this guy? <laughs> live, via, live via satellite recorded two weeks ago. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, when it comes to NXT and what they're doing, I would say that, yeah, it sure seems like somebody doesn't have any idea what to do next. Yeah, let's bring Charlotte over. Quick, quick, do it. Why? Oh, hold on. Charlotte and Rhea, and this is where I was actually ultimately going with this. Charlotte and Rhea um, should be a very good match. Because if you've really watched the way Charlotte carries herself in most matches over the last year, mm -hmm. she's adapted her style to where she can be a lot more freeform in what she does and how she does it. As long as she gets her bleep in every once in a while during a match, lo and behold, she'll make the other person look like a million bucks, i.e. what her dad did on a regular basis. Now, Ripley is kind of like Bianca Belair. 
they are this close to being on that level where everybody's really going, wow. But there's something missing, and I'm I'm not taking anything away from Ripley. She is good in ring. And she continues to get even better. But I think that they're trying to do something to where they can actually elevate both Ripley and NXT's women's division. Because remember, that's where the four horsewomen of NXT got their start, was in NXT. They've got they've got a little bit of a shakeup going on down there at Full Sail right now, and a lot of people are trying to figure out, hey, which way can we go next? How about that away? I'll take things that don't always make sense for 500, Alex. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. No, you, you definitely no, you go, go ahead. first. No, no you, you go ahead. No, you. No, you, have, you go first. You, you go. I, I just, got... <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll stop. I'm afraid to say it. <laughs> I I feel like Charlotte has done everything that you could have somebody do in the span of a career. And the funny thing is, she's only been really active in doing this since what? Thirteen? It's six years. She's had a Hall of Fame caliber career in six to... years. I mean, seven? Okay, yeah, yeah, seven, sorry. Yeah. Jeez. I'm from Alabama, and I caught that. I mean, With a banjo on my knee. Oh. Oh. <clears throat> but, I mean, it, it definitely feels like, uh, and I said it initially, yeah, they're going to have a good match. But I think the concern is more like, well, actually, I, I guess I could see this part. Because I'm not necessarily sold 100% on Bianca Belair. But I think that this really screws her over to have Charlotte come in in the middle of what should be a great time for, for Bianca Belair to at least shine. To at least get some growth. And instead, Wait. now they've kind of taken her moment. All right, so Bianca Belair... Baszler, Loray, mm-hmm. Shirai, Dakota Kai, uh, and I'm sure I'm missing any number of them. Wait a minute. The group that Danny LaRusso fought in Karate Kid 1 and 3 is in NXT? No, not Cobra Kai. Oh, I'm <laughs> that's, that's the other team kick. <laughs> Damn it, Johnny. <laughs> but to me, so because I thought about this this morning, right? So let's take the Undertaker. All right, Undertaker was in. Uh, he was what twenty-one and zero, right? Yep. <clears throat> so if you go look at all twenty-one of them, there were some guys on that list that you just knew going in weren't going to beat the Undertaker. Come on, Nathan Jones had a shot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they're Al- just not Albert. on his level, right? <laughs> so if you're going to do that to the Undertaker, and Charlotte's had WrestleMania moments, mm-hmm. Lord, she's had one of the biggest ones, why not say, Charlotte, 
no offense, but I need you to do this, <coughs> and we're going to leave NXT alone, and Rhea Ripley can face Baszler in a return match. Whatever. But to me, it's like they they don't have, and this is what really irks me, when they bring somebody down from up up the you know Raw or SmackDown and put them on NXT, it's like they don't have faith in the in the talent they have in NXT. Mm-hmm. That we have to bring Charlotte, one of the highest paid, you know, always on the trucks, does the interviews, and we're gonna yep. Here you go, Ripley. You get Charlotte. Go out there and have a good match, kid. Well, everything else that comes with it may get in her head. Mm-hmm. We just don't know that yet. Instead of letting her have a return match with, again, Baszler, Bianca Belair, or somebody else, no, we're going to put all the pressure on her. You know, again, are we going to do what, you know, Vince has said, well, maybe maybe somebody from Raw or SmackDown can go to NXT and it's not really a demotion. Now we're going to give, are we going to give Charlotte the NXT title? If you're not going to keep her on NXT, why have her fight for it to begin with? Right. It's, uh, I, I, I think, uh, somebody's meddling in the pot and they never should have done it. Charlotte could have had somebody else. Ripley could have had somebody else. And be you know be done with it. I've I've never seen a, a roster that is so talented and yet comes off as so confusing. Like NXT has all of this potential. You've got all these different moving parts that are like, wow, this could really be good. And then like something like this happens, you're like, wait. And, and Brian, I, I completely agree. It's just like they're saying, nah, no. I know that you're pretty good, but Charlotte, pff, we're going to put her there because, you know, mm-hmm. we think she'll sell better tickets. Well, NXT has never, not to put them down, but NXT has never been about whether or not they sell tickets. NXT has always been about whether or not they can go in the ring. And the reason for that was they wanted to make it different from Raw and SmackDown. And what happened, how, how this whole groundswell of support for NXT started was naturally, that's the key phrase, naturally NXT grew and sold tickets, not the other way around. So you didn't need a gimmick, you didn't need a, a, a name, you just had talented performers. And then you started signing guys like Nakamura, Bobby Roode, um, you name it, Hideo Itami, all these different names, but they weren't, they were at that, at that precipice, like at that level where they could be big names everywhere, or they could finally break into the stratosphere, so to speak, with WWE. And they did for a while, and then they get to this point where AEW is coming around, and you would think that they would have learned a lesson from like the late 90s where they just said, hey... Let's just do our thing. Some people will stay with us. Some people will go watch AEW. But if we do this right, everybody wins. That's all they had to do. Really, all they had to do. Well, I I don't think it's that. I think they don't know what to do with 
not a casual fan, mm-hmm. not a sports entertainment fan. I don't think they know what to do with a pro wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. And to me, I I equate the NXT fan as more of a pro wrestling fan. Same thing with the AEW. Mm-hmm. They're like throwbacks. You know what I'm saying? We want to see good action in the ring. We don't want to see, again, a hand being born. We don't want to see the dead corpse in the coffin get molested. Nobody wants to see that. We don't want to see that. We want to see good wrestling at the end of the day. And I just don't think they know what to do with that fan anymore since they basically in the early 90s said, well, we're not in the wrestling business. We're sports entertainment. And now guess who's back to, you know, make them eat words. Well, and now, and now with, um, with the way things are getting with WWE and all of these things happening around with changes in management, now the FCC or the SEC, excuse me, um, may actually be stepping in. Uh, a law firm of Levi and Korzynski notifies investors that it has commenced an investigation of World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. concerning possible violations of federal securities laws. Uh, this was based off of a, a suspicious activity that apparently took place uh, during the third third quarter um, where the company disclosed a large decline in net income and cash flow and generated as compared to the third quarter of 2018, cited, citing unfavorable timing of working capital and lower operating performance as the cause of the decline. Uh, following that, the stock price, of course, drops by almost almost 20%, 18.68 to be specific. So now, just to continue to muddy the waters, now WWE, Vince McMahon, and potentially other folks uh, are now dealing with this as well. That's right, because the FCC won't let me be. <laughs> <laughs> Brian sicked sick them on him. Oh yeah, Vince. Well, I don't like Raw, so guess what I'm gonna do? <laughs> Could you imagine a wrestling fan that also works for like the SEC? Oh, screw this company! I'll make it a couple calls. <sighs> realize, go back and look up. Stan, you have an easier time doing it. I'm doing the affiliation with the LOP. Um, when did Vince liquidate? Four percent of his stock. Uh, Vince, let's wasn't see. that two quarters ago? So you said four percent, right? I think it was approximately four to five percent of his stock that he sold off in order to create more capital for the XFL. This was uh, December fourth, two thousand eighteen. <clears throat> Vince McMahon sold 306,000 of his shares, um, and that's <coughs> approximately 1% of his stake in the company. I, I remember that one, but I also I thought it was Q3 last year, Q3-19, that he actually did another sell-off. Um, let's see here. 
I remember 18, but I also thought there was one in 19. Here it is. March 28th, according to Sports Illustrated. March 28th, 2019. Vince McMahon sells another $272 million in WWE stock to invest in the XFL relaunch. Correct. Um, so that is uh, another 4.1%. So that's Q2 right there. Yep. <clears throat> theoretically, second quarter, uh, theoretically, first or second quarter of 29. So you have people that monitor day activity of what WWE is and or does. You have people that still right now, two days into the official season, didn't know about the XFL. So lo and behold, all they're seeing is, wait a minute, he's selling stock. What the hell? Why can't I buy some? And lo and be- I mean, you've got that scenario in play where blind investors who don't know Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. And don't know that the XFL is a real thing. It's like, what's he doing? All that, all the above. And that's where a lot of this is coming from. Now, you've also got another story on the table where you had two of the high firepower front office dismissed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I know there's another story on the table um, about the SEC and really what the Southeastern Conference is trying to do with the WWE. I don't know. I mean, because <laughs> we use cheerleaders down here. The XFL doesn't use cheerleaders. Yes, and they do. What? And yeah, they to do. Which, no, they don't. XFL's not using cheerleaders this year. Oh, that was the first iteration that used strippers. My oh, name. yes, and did they ever. Oof, oof. And by the way, Brian, once again, the little guy from Alabama noticed this, to which I'll immediately follow up with, oh, son of a blue cheese eating billy goat. I plugged it in the <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I blame you for that. Suckers. I blame you for that. So it'll go a little something like, really? You don't do this to me? <laughs> There, deliverance. (laughs) (laughs) Notice everything works better when it works right the first effing time. (laughs) So, kind of like cooking a steak. That's that's true. That's true. (laughs) Eddie, actually, Eddie mentioned this earlier to me, and and Eddie, I'm going to go ahead and leave this to you because you mentioned this this to me this afternoon, and (laughs) apparently, Brian, Eddie was listening to. that guy, Lebetard. Is it Dan Lebetard? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Two, of my favorite, two of my favorite sports talk shows in the mornings are Dan Patrick and Dan Lebetard. Um, Lebetard this past Friday, they were doing a little, um, they were having a roundtable discussion about XFL and some of the things, and they brought in Steve Levy, who is going to do play-by-play for one of the games, actually. He did the leadoff game yesterday. And Levy, I believe, had made a reference to something about um, a good old-fashioned steak. And when they wrapped up the interview, the, the joke was, I bet Levy has a jacket waiting on him at such-and-such such steakhouse in case he doesn't have one with him. And one of the shipping container made the comment, steak is overrated. To which I sat back and said, okay, you got my attention. Now hold up, Billweed. Because properly prepared 
which doesn't require a year of marinating and all this other crap. Steak can never be overrated. It can be overcooked, overdone, but it cannot be overrated. Ryan, I want your question. I want you to answer this. Is steak overrated? Mm-hmm. You're not going to hear that argument from me. Stan? I don't know how anyone could ever say that steak is overrated. Unless, of course, they've just never had a good steak. Well, see, here's the thing, kids. If you have any functional knowledge... Now, also, one of the reasons why I like Dan Patrick, they have a great working arrangement with uh, Traeger Grills, and they will do their little thing called Meat Friday, where it's kind of like with if you watch ESPN College uh, Game Day, you're in that final hour, and they raise up the smoker tops on the different grills they've got going and what what the game day meal is going to be. And it's like, oh, dude. The, The art form to a good steak. Now, I'm a ribeye and a filet guy. Plain and simple. Now, if you've got the bone in of the cowboy cut ribeye, even better. But, um, sorry, I'm a carnivore in that regard. Keep it simple. You don't have to do a lot of prep. And it's all in the way that you cook it. Because me personally, I prefer charcoal and wood. Hickory. Not much, but a little. Smoke it a little bit and get that flavor in there. Now, once again, there's other times where it's just like, uh uh-uh, throw that sucker on there. A little dab of pure Amish butter afterwards. A little bit of salt, a little fresh uh, garlic salt, fresh cracked black. I'm good to roll. It all depends, once again, the cooking technique. And for me, if it's an inch and a half steak, about... Four minutes per side, four and a half, keep it medium rare. I'm good to ride. See you later, bye. And I don't need a one. Yes. (laughs) Red meat, we will eat it. (laughs) And for those who listen to this show and the Beyond Ringside family of shows, y'all know right now over the last couple of years, my favorite place to go and hide is Texas Day Brazil. (laughs) Mm, a good Brazil steakhouse. Mm. It's not heavenly. Fair. It's not fair. <laughs> Probably the best steak I've ever had was a forty-eight ounce porterhouse steak. Now, but, I didn't have to uh, eat for a couple of days after, but forty-eight ounces of great steak is amazing. That's a roast. <laughs> Call it what you want. It tasted great, sir. <laughs> was that? Uh, was that buck tussle or what? <laughs> no, legit. There was a there was a restaurant in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for years that did that. It was either a, a 32, 36, or 42 ounce. And the, the name of the restaurant was legitimately called Buck Tussle. No, this was actually a restaurant in Annapolis, Maryland called Lunas's. And they used to have a a deal on that steak that if you could finish that steak within a certain time frame, it was free. I don't know if I finished it within the time frame, but it was definitely a steak. Same thing Bug Tussle did. Oh, well. And and Brian, this time I get to do it for Stan. He automatically thought that I was making a joke about um, a Southern joke when I said Bug bug Tussle. So therefore it's not a case of. (laughs) (laughs) 
See, he got it working, so he wanted to make it work the first time for the next time because I did show prep. <laughs> so with uh, with the XFL, uh, we talked about some of their uh, some of the information that we saw so far with Vince, uh, you know, showing out some stocks just to try to finance it. Uh, gameplay actually wasn't that bad. Now I didn't see a lot of the games. I saw bits and pieces. I saw a quarter here and there. Um, but I saw some of the uh, Guardians and the, against the Vipers, uh, and I saw a little bit of Dallas and St. Louis, the Battle Hawks against the Renegades. By the way, Dallas still sucks. They didn't win today either. <clears throat> um, so it was uh, leading off was the DC Defenders, thirty-one; the Seattle Dragons, nineteen; uh, the Houston Roughnecks defeated the Los Angeles Wildcats. 37-17, New York Guardians defeated the Tampa Bay Vipers, 23-3, and the St. Louis Battlehawks, what a name, Battlehawks, 15-9 over the Dallas Renegades. Um, quarterback play still seems to be the challenge of this league, even though it's been 10 years, no, 20 years, XFL was 2000, right, when they first came out? Mm. Oh, you'd have to look that one up. Yeah, I'm about to just double check. XFL V1! Wasn't it 2008? No, 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 no. Uh, XFL, when they first came out, when did they debut? Let's see here. Right now, of course, if you look up debut, it shows the brand new stuff. Yeah. So 19 years later, XFL's challenge is still quarterback play. The receivers and the tight ends, by the way, are making some ridiculous grabs. Uh, Player for the Vipers made a uh, lunging one-handed grab and then just get his ribs pelted by defensive backs. Somehow still managed to gain 15 on the grab. So there's some tough play going on. I was at a restaurant yesterday during the D.C. Seattle game, and I was actually hearing people going, why aren't they kicking a, P- a PAT? Why aren't they kicking a point? It's like, you obviously haven't paid attention, kids. For those well, who don't know, I'm going to play the role of Paul Heyman and give you a spoiler. <laughs> when you score six, there is no PAT kick. You have the opportunity to score either one, two, or three points on a after <coughs> touchdown. You can go, I believe it's from the two-yard line for one point, the five-yard line for two points, the 10-yard <coughs> line, three points. So, yes, football fans, guess what? One of the new faces in the XFL is the fact that you have the opportunity for a nine-point play by scoring a touchdown. Which means, guess what? If you're down by 18 in traditional scoring, that's a three-possession game. Now, in the XFL, 18 points is a two-possession game. Yeah, between the uh, the possibility for points and the play clock being shortened to 25 seconds, um, yeah. the, the pace of the game was actually pretty good. Um, all things considered, I was impressed. They said that the target time for gameplay is going to be about two and a half hours. Normally, NFL runs three hours plus. College runs two to three weeks. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. And high school lasts until the uh, the hot dogs run out. <laughs> kind of like an indie wrestling show. Now, dang hot- it, I was just about to say that. Leave my joke alone. <laughs> Here's your handshake and a hot dog. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> so, of course, this weekend uh, there was some wintry weather in uh, parts of the East Coast, including Tennessee, where the Scenic City Rumble, um, very, very popular event, unfortunately was canceled due to wintry weather. Um, there's left a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot of independent talents with a little bit of time on their hands. So saw a few people get picked up at different shows last minute, including uh, Logan Creed and uh, just some folks out of the Georgia and Alabama area. Now, Eddie, you were going to be making your way to this event, correct? Yeah, it's funny because um, for those who listen to Beyond Ringside, occasional guest will be uh, the SS Schmicky. And don't ask me what S- um, SS stands for right now because I'm really not in the mood to say it. I'm lying. Uh, ish starter is what it really means. Um, he and I were getting ready to get, um, hit Interstate 65 to go to fi- um, 59 northbound ahead for Chattanooga. And Shane Knowles from the Shooters Gallery and Peach State Wrestling Lunch sends me a um, SMS with a graph or with a screenshot from Larry Goodman and Georgia Wrestling History website, GWH News and Notes, saying that it's been canceled. Well, I love Larry to death, but I'll, um, and every once in a while, somebody would try to pull a rib. So I'm sitting back going, I got Dylan Hales on speed dial. Hang on one second. So as we're getting on to Interstate 65 in Pelham, Alabama, um, I hit Dylan on speed dial, and it's like he was sounded just out of it. I'm going, Dylan, Eddie Lane, Beyond Ringside. Hey, man, what's up? Had a long time no talk to. I said, what's the scoop on tonight? He said, well, because of the fact that we've got accumulation here in the area, especially around Ultawa um, and East Hamilton, um, East Hamilton high, uh, Middle High School, they've opted to – there are still road closures that, according to local law enforcement, will not be opened. Um, the school has opted to go on the side of caution and ask us to go ahead and um, either put the show on hold or cancel it. Reason being is, even though the temperature today is supposed to get up to the mid-40s and possibly 48, 49, and he continued to say, the overnight low is slated to get back down into the 20s. So you have a possibility where, depending on how quickly it cools off, the roads could not, could not only melt but refreeze in a more icy fashion. So to um, put everybody where they won't be in harm's way they opted to go ahead and take the safer route and cancel the event. Um, right now, I believe they're going to turn their full attention to the Scenic City Invitational, mm-hmm. and this is where I'm going to draw heat. The following comment is in, in no way affiliated with Corner to Corner Radio. The real SCI, if you've been on social media in the last 36 hours, you know what I mean. Somebody put the word honor in the name. They need to practice what they preach. But my jury's still out about that promotion, by the way. Um, but, yeah, they've uh, the real SCI, of course, is going to be a little bit later in the year. And we're going to have interviews with Scott Hensley, Dylan Hales, and a lot of the talent for the Scenic City Invitational before that kicks off. Woohoo! I love these uh, little tournaments 
I think they're great. If they were closer, I'd be there a whole lot more. Yeah, we it's just a long ride for me. Yeah, the, the just, ride to Chattanooga was was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> now y'all were what straight down um, eighty five to seventy five, right? I mean, a uh, seventy five. No, it was eighty five. No, we took like uh, we took twenty nine. Just say to it took us like yeah, five was... and a half hours just to get out of Virginia. Wow. Well, we did blow a tire. <laughs> ah, that'll do it. Yeah, but uh, so instead of like going south, we went towards the uh, what do you call it, the Panhandle, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. that thing is like goes on for days. It was uh, kind of like me on a drinking spree. <laughs> it, it was a road trip unlike any other. It was one of those road trips where you uh, you call your loved ones and you <clears throat> say where you are. You provide the mile markers just in case. I mean, it's that kind of road trip. Rob's not here, but yeah, the joke fell for me. Oh, well. <clears throat> By the way, moment of, uh, do y'all mind if I indulge a moment of pure shamelessness? Psh, that's what we do here, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you learn well from me, too. Um, short version, speaking of rumbles, um... And this is not a play on anything else. This is something that we've been doing at Peach State Wrestling Alliance for the last few years. Um, this coming Saturday night, February the 15th, 2020, in Bremen, Georgia, <clears throat> Recreation Center, 417 River Circle, um, under the banner of Peach State Wrestling Alliance, <sighs> Matthew Hankins presents the Shane Marks Invitational Rumble. Right now, it is an open-door policy in play. The winner of this Rumble-style matchup will go on to get a title shot, a title opportunity with the current Peach State Wrestling Alliance Heritage Champion, the Revelation Shane Marks. Right now, as it stands, there are 38 entrants into this match. Right now, representing seven, this is real, this is a shoot, kids, seven different companies. Uh Uh-huh. And the door is still open. So, it doesn't matter if if you're in-ring talent and you own a company like some people we all know, or you're the booker, or you're in-ring talent representing as a champion, or a mainstay at an organization. This invitation goes out Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, all of the above. Of course, the home state of Georgia. You know, wait, what the hell? wait, wait. No, no love for Virginia? Well, I didn't want anybody to have to drive 19 and a half hours to get to the show. Just saying. Might have had okay. somebody that wanted to go. West Virginia and Virginia. <laughs> I, think, I think what you've just heard is Stan has declared himself as the 39th entrant Bring into this battle roll. <laughs> so here's what we do. Why well, God, no. <laughs> at, at the real PWA on Twitter, I believe an active email address is PWA fanbase at PWA fanbase at yahoo.com. So if you have not worked with Peach State before and would like an opportunity to participate in this, and like I said, it's a great opportunity for people that haven't been to this part of Georgia or that have not worked in Georgia, 
So here's what you need to do. PWA fan base at yahoo.com. Your um, send your full bio and a real bio. Not a working I mean not a working bio, but a real bio, including links to complete matches. We still got a couple of days on this. So as you're listening live, whether Wait, it be think you had said you highlight matches. You know, nope. just like, hey, this is my hot spots. This is what I'm great nope. at. Nope. 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 <laughs> No best of reels, no blooper reels, no hot, uh, 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 no compilations. It has to be complete matches, bell to bell. So, uh, does Georgia require licensing, like in Virginia? Um, I don't think they do at this current time. So you're saying there's a there chance? There we go. <laughs> there we go. Can we at least? Like throw Stan's name in there somewhere and just have the announcer call him and him not come out. Him <laughs> <laughs> have come call me on the phone and I'll answer and be like um. I, I no, don't know much what you're like about. Uh, <laughs> uh, who who uh, what did Bischoff did challenge Vince? Oh yeah, and called him out on the pay per view and he didn't answer. Yeah, dude, yeah, and number you know fifteen Stan Grubb. And then nobody popped out. <laughs> People started looking around at the house. Stan Grubb. <laughs> He's from Virginia. They're a bunch of they're a bunch of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> He's this Mark that got like super interested. He was ready to go. <laughs> Real quick, a short ending on this story. Uh, for all of our friends in the southeastern United States, like I said, Beach Wrestling Alliance has been putting on some great shows for a number of years. And we are back where it all began in Bremen, Georgia, directly accessible to Interstate 20. Um, once again, I believe doors open at 7. Bell time is 8 o'clock p.m. Uh, front row sold out. VIP sold out. There will be an opportunity if you get there early enough for a meet and greet with a lot of the talent. There are some surprises in this. I know most of the people that are involved, and there's some people that I have not been told about. I do commentary for the show. And this is going to be a lot of fun. So once again, especially in the hardcore southeastern U.S., Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, um, and the, um, the northwest, actually, yeah, northwest and northeast Florida, um, South Carolina, come on down. Love to have everybody come out to play this coming Saturday night. Bremen, Georgia, 7 o'clock, doors, 8 bell, PeachStateWrestlingAlliance.com. Dot com. Now, I have a question. What is it? What is included in the VIP? Don't know. Well, that's just silly. Do I get a free chair? I like that. No. Oh, mm-mm, ah, mm-mm. Yeah, we'll, there it is. We'll pull it right out of Barbie's country camper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you win. Sam. That was a good answer. <laughs> oh, he's looking for the freebie. Hey, hey. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Um,. Actually, that actually sounds like a really cool event. Um, so you'll have to uh, keep us surprised. Now, what's the date on that one more time? Next Saturday night, February 15th. February 15th. Take your lady out to wrestling for Valentine's weekend. See, yes. You can use I have that. no problem with that. You can use that plug for free. Stan Grubb said so. <coughs> I don't know if it's worth anything, though. <laughs> uh, New Japan had... New beginning in Osaka. This uh, looks like these matches, and we got some chatter on the uh, corner-to-corner chat earlier today, saying to go out of your way 
to check out matches between Takahashi and Ryu Lee, Jay White and Sonata, John Moxley and Minoru Suzuki, and of course Naito defending against Kenta. So here's the results. We'll start from the undercard. Ten cozy. Really? You're gonna you're gonna you spoil me to, it already? You, you want me to wait till we wait till next weekend? Yeah. All yeah. right, fine. We'll give you seven days. Don't be seven a wiener. Days. It's like the ring. Seven days. You got seven days <laughs> to get up to speed, and if you don't, we're spoiling it. <laughs> yep. Oh, but uh, so there's a, a lot of good positive chatter about that. Of course, Ring of Honor Free Enterprise up in Baltimore. Um, this was the uh, 12-hour marathon. No, I'm just kidding. I think, it, I think it was like a five-hour, though. Um, where Nick Aldis apparently showed up. And uh, there has been a challenge laid out where Marty Skrull and Nick Aldis are going to battle for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. If Aldis wins, Skrull will write him a check for $500,000. Mm-hmm. Or roughly what I get paid to do this show every Sunday. <laughs> Only if it's Monopoly money. Well, yeah, well, I wasn't going to be that specific. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Well, oh, in the game of life, it's easier to get that kind of money. <laughs> That's yep. And then if Marty wins, Marty becomes champion. The NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. And NWA Power um, has still maintained a solid follower base. There has been so much chatter about them. And the real thing that I've noticed is there's no fear in putting title matches on power. There's no fear in having somebody do a run-in. And there's no fear of bringing it old school for an episode. I don't know if you guys had the chance to watch the match between Ricky Morton and uh, Nick Aldis, but, you know, it it struck me as one of those moments that forever will have been missed out on for Ricky Morton, that he could have just, even if it was only for a, a week, he could have been a world champion. Well, I mean, um, uh, what year was it? 85 or 86 when the bash, they yeah. toured the bash the whole summer. Um, I think it was the, uh, God, and there was like some stipulation, I think, to who challenged Flair or something. Mm-hmm. But like, so Hawk got an opportunity to challenge Flair and apparently put on, um, you know, some great singles matches. I think Morton did it twice, if I remember right, maybe, and both times were said to be excellent matches. So there's no doubt that Morton can and could have wrestled singles. He just, uh, you know, happened to go down that tag team path. Um, And back in, I mean, think about it, back in the Mm mid-'80s, he probably could have rivaled you know, some of the bigger names in the business as far as popularity also. The looks, I mean, he had it He had it all back in the 80s. I mean, it's just the ability to draw in a crowd, to mm-hmm. reach your hand out and literally have people in the front row crying because you're being abused so poorly. 
it's it, it's one of those things that just like you don't have Shawn Michaels is the last guy that I can remember in today's I I would say I, can I still call it today's industry for him or is it I guess well, no, just, he's definitely not today's industry. We'll just say recent memory, I guess. We'll, we'll use it mm-hmm. like that. Um, but the last guy that I can recall that really sold throughout, and even when he won, you're like, damn, he went through hell just to get to that. you know. And Ricky Morton, even at, and he's what, 70? Mm, a rock and roller never tells his age. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a little bit. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> what? No, well, I mean, he doesn't. Age. Sixty-three years of age. Well, there you go, spoil sport. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> but at sixty-three years old, having a matchup with Nick Aldis that was actually very, very compelling. Like you're again, you're in 1986. Watching Ricky Morton challenge for the championship, and there I was, was once again thinking, "Damn, just let him do it. Let's what? win." <laughs> I, you know, it, it's hard to say what the NWA has in store, but maybe that's something they pull the trigger on eventually. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, "Oh my god, they could actually pull this off, and people would love it." You don't have to keep him with the title for long. When you're doing your tapings, you give him, you know, a defense where he wins, and then he loses it back to Aldis. Everybody's happy, right? Or, or you just do what they did to Jericho that time, where Jericho beat Triple H. Oh, then they take it away. And like, I'm, I'm not kidding you. That so I'm sitting at home, and I think it's me and one other person. I think it's just two of us. I don't think you and Rob were there. I think y'all were. Maybe at Rob's house or something. The state and um, he wins, yeah. and I literally come unglued, like shoot off the couch in one mm-hmm. fluid motion for when Jericho wins. And it'd probably be the same thing with Morton. And I, I mean, it's just the mo- it's the magic of the moment. <clears throat> How many times do you get a chance to just be in the magic of the moment? Nowadays, it's not very much. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be, I would, because you're right, that would probably be just some crazy moment that happens in time that you're like, I'll always remember where I was when Ricky Morton finally became the NWA heavyweight champion. Right? Because there's, there's, Thousands of guys that aspire to be the world heavyweight champion, but it's a very <clears throat> tight knit group that ever get there. And a one guy that even I mean, for crying out loud, Tommy Rich was the NWA world champion for a, a brief period. Oh, I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, Ricky Morton can't get it, but Tommy Rich can. What have I missed in the wrestling world? Apparently, you missed the episode of a certain radio show that you were on that when Harley Race was being interviewed and told the truth. Yeah, I do remember that. That was a great, oh my gosh. Now, did we do that story on air or off? We did that on. That was on air. That was on the record. Harley Race goes on record stating that he figured, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, 
today if 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 the Bray Wyatt goes out there and takes on Cedric Alexander and just goes, eh, what the hell? Why would be fire? Actually, you seem to you seem to forget one little facet of it. Do you want me to tell the truth? Absolutely. Because remember, Harley confided. Harley told us on air. Well, a little bit of a difference there, kids. Harley did say on air, "I got knocked out." Yeah, he was concussed. I don't, legitimately, I don't, I don't remember his words. I don't remember what happened. Next thing I know, it's later that night. I'm going, uh oh, and. Because of the fact that he was concussed and knocked out, Tommy got the belt with the thing. I mean, Harley had the presence of mind to continue the match and say, go ahead, kid. Let's press out. Wait a and second. Wait a second. Hold on, hold on. Tommy. What? You mean to tell me that Harley Race would tell us that, oh, you know, I was out of it. I don't remember anything. And what has he got to lose where he was in life? Not that's a, a damn fair thing. statement. That's a fair statement. But I personally think it's just his way of continuing to be the man that Harley Race is. And by the same token, he could also be a rib, too. <laughs> it could have yeah, been. Right. I was thinking that, too. He could be he could be protecting, you know, the little yeah. meeting in the back. That, you know, he's getting the title tonight, and okay, whatever, you know. I mean, yeah. back then it was more like, okay, fine, I'll get it back tomorrow. It's not a big deal. Yeah. He did. He got, he got it back at the end of the week. Yeah. I, I mean, mean look, and this is – go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, look at Flair. Flair lost it. I don't know how many damn daggone times and, you know, damn got fine. it back before you even before you, you even made TV next week. I mean, that's true. You get you got like three months to celebrate Sting being world champion. And then in Baltimore, Flair wins it back. Well, no, I'm talking about like the so the the lesser known title changes. Oh, OK. You know, oh, yep. You're going to be in Poughkeepsie on Saturday facing. This guy nobody's ever heard of. Oh, and just we're going to do the right thing. Flair drops the title, comes back the next night, wins it back, on off he goes. I think he's got four or five of those, and that's probably why the WWE doesn't count them. Two words, Von Eric. Well, yeah, there's there's a good one, the one that probably shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Based off of the controversy, I would imagine. Well, the fact of the matter stands is like, remember, because they had the title change in uh, Dallas and then the return in Japan, if I remember mm. correctly. And, you know, it's, of course, folks, <coughs> depending on your chronological age, you have to remember, and, okay, rock and rollers never tell their age, but real, but real talk show hosts have to, especially when they're trying to substantiate a fact. <laughs> When I was first working to get into this business, and I will put this into 2020 terminology. Oh, no. He's going to call us boomers. No, I'm not. <laughs> you would have an easier time hacking the Pentagon and the White House servers than you would in 1985 breaking into pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. You would have an easier time figuring out a 32-character password utilizing numbers, upper, lower, and features or characters than you would getting into pro wrestling in the mid-1980s. Unless you were I, at a certain bar <laughs> where, like, 12 of them come from. <laughs> That's true. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, well, let's see. No, I was actually... See, I became friends with a number of people down here at South um, at Southeastern <laughs> Championship Wrestling. And basically earned trust to the point where I was actually included in a storyline where I was in um, at a merch table that somebody was sitting at and I just went ahead and played along as I, as that person decided to snap and start a heel turn. So I was the recipient of phase one of it or phase two. I can't remember which one, but lo and behold, it's like, yeah, plain and simple. I earned trust and that's what people had to do back then. Now, when I first started genuinely physically training, oh my shoot. Long stories there that I'm not going to go. Yeah. But in this day and age, it's like you have so many venues and so many avenues for if you want to train. The world in perspective. Yeah. I'm not doing an episode of of Greg Cody's back in my day, but yeah, when I was younger and tried to break into this industry, it was a it was a long road to hope. But Harley was that throwback to that era. And this was one of the cases where, you know, in the 80s, you could do in a territory, and this is leading into something Stan was talking about a second ago, the fact that Tommy would win, I think Tommy won the belt in Valdosta, Georgia, and lost it back on the other side of the state a week later. Because Harley was going to be in the Georgia Territory for uh, for two weeks. So, lo and behold, I think it was lost it in bat- uh, Valdosta, got it back in Gainesville. I can't right off the top of my head. Stan, you might want to look that up. But, yeah. But see, here's the trick. Even in a state the size of Georgia, you're not going... The word didn't travel that fast in that era. Now it's all point click. By the time that I finished the sentence, Stan, would you look that up? Stan could have found it if he was actively interested in trying to find what I was asking. I actually did. So there you go. Oh, there you <laughs> He won the, uh, won the championship. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> i got to find the date here. I just had it. Won the heavyweight championship in August of 81 in Augusta, Georgia, and then lost it Augusta. four days later. In Marietta. Marietta, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm sorry, I mean, not August. It was April 27th. Sorry. But it was 81. Yeah, I remember that year. Back I'd then, you been... only had, what, the three periodicals, I think? Mm-hmm. Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated. One. Uh, what was it? The Wrestler. Two. And I'm pretty sure there was a third one, although the name escapes me. Okay. Back in that era, you had the Weston magazine. Um, you, I believe you had four at one point. Um, Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Review, um, Sports Review Wrestling or something like that. There was one of the Weston publications that actually showed apartment wrestling with bikini girls in there. And I'm going, hi, how you doing? Bikini. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> oh, I'm in 3C. Y'all want to wrestle here? <laughs> I'll bring my camera. I got some lights. And then then there was a wrestling magazine put out. Years ago, there was one called The Ring, boxing magazine. 
The Ring also put out a wrestling, a pro wrestling based magazine. I still got some of those. And so it's like, yeah, there were um, five total. And I will never forget that in the in the Weston mags, which later on went on to be called the Abner mags. Mm-hmm. Um, you had one with a column by Dan Shockett called Off the Top Rope. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Dan was the heel writer personified. I loved it. It was ab- that's what made me sit back and go, you know, some I think I'd rather be a heel than a baby face. Anybody, any dumbass can try to get cheered. Guess what? I want to be booed. Give me all you got. <laughs> Eddie Elner was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated lead um, heel columnist, and that, that was guy, after shock. Yeah, that was after yep. shock. And he would he would write about how fans would send him hate mail. And oh, he yeah. couldn't stand to deal with the the Hulkamaniacs and all that. He would just belittle fans. He would read their letters, like he would put their letters in the in the magazine, and then he would write like four or five <laughs> paragraphs, just destroying these people that were writing. He was great. Remember, Shock had actually put a response to somebody who was pissed off about the way. He was talking about Bob Backlund um, and just absolutely running down the All-American boy. The person came back and just ripped into shock. And, um, they had to bleep out of um, X out of words. And then Shockett came back and said, if your parents are still alive, please make sure they practice birth control. You do not, a sibling. <laughs> yeah, I think I may have. I know I got old pro wrestling illustrated, but I may have that inside wrestling, too. I may have one or two of those old ones. It was Sports Review Wrestling that had the apartment wrestling in it, I think. Yeah, I never saw that. I was not quite that lucky at that young developmental age. (laughs) Best magazines ever. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brian can remember, we actually got a cease and desist from a wrestling magazine. Um, We used to do, it was an e-fed called New Wave Wrestling. And we actually were doing pretty well. We were drawing some pretty decent attention. And we got a cease and desist from one of their writers. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually a uh, publisher. but <laughs> Oh, I didn't think it was. I thought it was just some Joe Blow that claimed he had the rights to that Prove uh, it. Yeah, Prove new it. attitude or whatever. Yeah. Whatever banner we were running under. We changed the Which, name um, about a week. Yeah, ago. then we we just changed the name and went on with it. <laughs> we made fun of them and everything else. We yeah. didn't care. What they send you a cease and desist email? Uh, yes, yes. Because this was back <laughs> in two thousand and three. Yeah, two thousand and three. Yep, and this was uh oh wow. Oops. Yep, and that's the guy. Yeah, Michael O'Hara. That was the guy that actually sent it to me. Get this, Brian. So I never knew this, but I just found this just now. Mm-hmm. New Wave Wrestling Magazine's future is in the air at this time. Plans was for the next issue to be out in December or January 2004. Former photographer uh, George Rand left the publication after seven years. Publisher Michael O'Hara has also been working on many other non-related venues as of late and actually has no time to run the magazine any longer. 
Well, there you go. Aw, sucks for him. Should have called us. Womp, 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 <laughs> You might have been a millionaire by now. <laughs> we had a million dollar idea, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to. I used to love. I was. Re, I would religiously get Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Oh yeah. But I used to love once a month flipping through and seeing what everybody else was doing and mm-hmm. reading the articles. And I thought they were a great way to carry on, you know, storylines and create new ones and stuff like that. One of the things I liked about it, one of the magazines had like the roll call of champions and the top tens from different regions and different Mm -hmm. areas. And it's Mm -hmm. like for those of us, you know, during the infancy of cable where and this is a story a lot of people have heard me talk about before. You had the you had the two before there was the three. Um, ESPN, of course, carrying at one point um, AWA or World Class or GWF, um, Superstation 17, which was WECG before it was ever TBS, um, was Georgia or Championship Wrestling from Georgia, then Black, um, what was it, Black Saturday, Black Friday, Black Monday, um, where Vince took over for a few weeks and then Ole and Company bought it, Rocket and Company bought it for World Championship Wrestling, but on WWOR, and there were two W's there before it became WOR, Channel 9, New York, at 11 p.m., I think it was 11 p.m. Central, the old WWF one-hour shows. And this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, Way back then. Dude, I used to but, love watching yeah. Superstars and Challenge and Primetime and Spotlight. <laughs> These were the predecessors to those. Yeah. Um, because WW, World Wrestling Federation had a one-hour show on Saturday nights in particular, and they would not hesitate to show title changes or things like that on that show. Because mm-hmm. I remember one episode in particular where the then-champions, Tony Gurria and Rick Martell, lost the belts to uh, Fuji and Saito on that um, hour-long television show. When Saito caught, or it was either Fuji or Saito caught uh, Rick Martell with salt in the eye and one, two, three, pin title change. Let me help you with that. That's <clears throat> Mr. Fuji's racist salt. Thank you, Edge and Christian. <laughs> well, you know, I, I always thought that the older uh, shows, they, they would hold your attention more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. speaking of like what Eddie's talking about with like title changes hands and all this stuff. So the NWA in the Carolinas, the Crockett's, to me, were notorious for that stuff. I mean, they were big time before there was big time. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was like, so for me, <clears throat> now I knew... I know this was, of course, a little bit before cable because we didn't we didn't get cable till I was a little bit into this. But for me, I knew on CBS we were going to have uh, championship wrestling at somewhere in the morning. Now it could be uh, nine o'clock, nine thirty, ten, ten thirty, eleven o'clock. I think the latest it would have gone was twelve, and then eleven thirty at that night on Saturday. 
we would have another episode and it'd be completely different. But either one, you could literally see almost anything. And then, and this was the old studio that may have had 10 people in it that had all the flags draped down and Shabani and, um, who was it? Uh, David Crockett. Was it David? Um, you know, stand at that little table. Yeah. Shivani and Cro- David. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but I mean, you could see people getting jumped. You could see titles changing hand. You could see storylines progressing. I mean, the whole nine yards. I remember the rock and roll express and this is how clever the Crockett's were. So the morning show, they advertised this brand new team coming. Right, there's this little video package of the Rock and Roll Express to get you all pumped up and excited. And then guess what happens that very night? The Rock and Roll Express faced the Russians, and they beat them. And I think this might have even been like an hour-long, you know, it was a, one of those hour-long matches. I don't think it went that far, but it may have even been advertised as that. And that's the type of stuff that the Crockett's would do. Right out the gate, brand new tag team on TV. Boom. Knocking out the big bad Russians. You know? Mm-hmm. So it was crazy back then. I'm telling you, I don't I don't know of anybody else that did it like that because I only got to see the AWA, you know, I think after a while they disappeared on me off of ESPN and stuff like that. And unless the free birds were showing up in Texas, it really did get too crazy for me. <clears throat> I remember, <clears throat> I mean, the most of the time with the aftermags being able to, I mean, that's how I learned about what global was and learned that I can find it on ESPN. Um, mm-hmm. That was how I learned about like really what the NWA was doing before I even really got a chance to watch it. Because I don't remember, I don't remember the first time I got a chance to watch it on TBS. I remember that it was probably late '89, maybe, but I couldn't tell you like what the storyline was. But I remember the first major storyline I got pulled in with was uh, Sting against the Horseman. So mm-hmm. I mean, I remember reading about all that stuff and being like, "Wow, there's like a whole other like wrestling world." out there and then you would read about what was going on in japan you read about what was going on in texas and in georgia and you'd be like dude who the hell are the Freebirds? like i'm sitting here watching the uh the rockers and the brain busters and i got no idea that the brain busters actually are the four horsemen and i got no idea that there's you know <laughs> you know these badasses called the road warriors out there i'm like what the hell so mm-hmm. in, in that event it was cool because like you just could even if you never saw these guys perform, you're like, damn, they should bring this guy in. No idea who they are, but the, from the pictures, they look cool. You know, it was neat. It was, it was a great way to uh, be plugged in before you could be, you know, plugged in like now. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, they had special issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, every so often. Um, if, if you had, again, like, uh, the great American bash where they did like three months or whatever, however long it was, I mean, there were, 
write-ups for each one, you know, that would tell you who won, who lost, mm-hmm. if there was anything going on. <laughs> the road so reports, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I really miss, uh, you know, going and picking them up as a kid, you know, and just getting wrapped up into them. I can remember rolling them up, taking them to school, giving them to a friend. Yeah, I'm going to need that back in a few days. You know, that's you can't keep that, and, <laughs> you know. So the PWI 500 is supposed to be a work, but were the year-end awards a work? Because yeah. those are supposed to be fo- fan-loaded, right? Yeah, I'm sure it was all work. I don't know how much of a work, but I, I mean, because if you think about it, there were certain <coughs> certain territories that seemed to reap the benefits more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Because I can remember that was how, like, like rookie of the year it was. It was almost always rookie of the year was almost always somebody in the NWA. So like that was be that would be the person. Oh wow, I got to see what this guy's doing. And then your feud of the year was always a Hulk Hogan feud. Until about ninety one when it was Sting and Flair, but it was almost always a Hulk Hogan feud. And it was if it wasn't Hogan that won, it was. Um, who who else? Uh, uh, Dusty, Dusty and Flair. So it was almost always one or the other. And then if it was um, tag team of the year, was always an NWA tag team because WWF never had a tag team that was worth a damn. <laughs> at least until, at least until like. Well, what'd you say? The WWF really never had a tag team that was worth a oh, damn. Oh, the WWF. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Don't don't you don't. Who were you getting ready to say? Well, I, I was saying toward until the '90s when, like, the Hart Foundation, the Rockers, the Legion of Doom, um, the Orange right. Express, Help Powers of Pain. Who point. would have been an '80s WWE tag team? What part of games? Oh, with Iron Sheik and Nikolai. No, they had tag teams. That's mid. The Bolsheviks. Mid. Okay, early. Okay, let's go early nineties. Hold on, yeah. let's go late seventies, early eighties, and I will bring up teams like the Wild Samoans, the Moon Dogs, Tony, yeah. Dick, Rick Martel. Um, good lord, they had so many different tag teams coming in and out of the area, but um, they and the faces would change. Um, it just depended on exactly. Let me see, da, 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 Moon Dogs, Samoans, um, Fuji and Saito, Martel, um. And just it real a lot depended on exactly. Um, I think even the funks popped in once or twice up there. Um, but see, but see, that's one thing down here in the southeastern U.S. And for and I can go back on the history of this because a lot of the times, whether it be the WWF or WWF, AWA, the territories under the National Wrestling Alliance, um, in the NWA especially. Tag teams were a thing, a real thing. Uh-huh. They weren't a full-time thing in WWF. Um, they had some decent ones in AWA, but once again, remembering they're trying to make chicken salad out of another substance. Um, ha, ha, ha. You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? Good <laughs> um, shit. Oh, bump, bump. Womp, womp. 
Uh, let me help you out there at 1010 on uh, February. The, I'm not um, editing damn thing. He's talking about. He's time marking it. What the hell? <laughs> no, I used to actually. I actually used to time mark it. <laughs> now I just simply sit back and go. <laughs> hey, I, I've been on my best behavior. I haven't let it go but so much lately. Um, now, here's how much tag team wrestling was a thing in the southeastern U.S. <clears throat> One of the first shows I saw outside of my home market of Birmingham, Alabama, was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I, my memory serves me correctly. It was Thanksgiving 1981. I, grew, I drew so much crap from my family for leaving Thanksgiving early to join some friends on a road trip to Atlanta to go to the Omni for the Georgia national, or excuse me, the national tag team title tournament. I'd been, <laughs> I've been hearing, um, watching the promos for this on, um, you know, on TV at TCG TBS. And it's like, I really want to go to this. Well, my parents consented and a bunch of us got together. Um, we took a car over and it's like, let's ride, let's go. Um, get there, still managed to get decent seats, not really decent, but passable. And lo and behold, um, that was also another night because one of my favorites of all time, actually two of my favorites of all time, uh, Bob and Brad Armstrong, Bullet Bob, and of course his um, son, the late, great Brad Armstrong, won <clears throat> the <clears throat> the um, NWA National Tag Team Championships that night. Um, they defeated, uh, matter of fact, speaking of one of my other favorite teams, Fuji and Saito, to win that tournament. Um, I think it was like 16 teams involved, or it was maybe 12, maybe 16. I don't remember the whole night, because it all went by in a blur. And to me, um, if I remember, they did the uh, Thanksgiving night tournaments at the Omni for a few years after that, which in my book helped to set the stone uh, set the foundation for the Crockett Cup tournament later on because they've already shown that tag team wrestling works tag team wrestling is a viable commodity if you have I'm going to use the word I hate creative and or booking that knows how to genuinely build a tag team division hey Vince how you doing yeah, I mean, think about it, Eddie. Back then, you you know, you only had two hour show, and they just put everything in there, and it doesn't didn't matter if there was a little storyline to it or not. Everybody was you know like almost showcased. Yeah, for those two hours, it wasn't like they were out there just playing around i mean it was like the feel was this is a showcase type match you well i mean on, uh, on crockett yeah on crockett yeah. Oh, dude let me tell you something i actually worked a couple of enhancement matches over there under a mask um but i'm going over there with mike jackson and yes i do mean action mike jackson the 931 time alabama state junior heavyweight champion Woo! randy barber alan martin um dwayne phillips who actually was The Rock long before Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, Bill Tab, um, a number of guys from our circuit over here went over to work enhancement talent over on um, Crockett TV. So, so I know that place. I know that place very well. <laughs> more to the more to the point of just how 
much of tag team wrestling that NWA took up. If you go from 1983 through 85, the Road Warriors won Tag Team of the Year each year. They were in AWA, NWA, and NWA, and AWA at the same time by 85. The Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, then you had, you know, the um, Tully and Arn. Then you had, I mean, the Steiners, Doom. You had, you know, the Armstrongs. You had the Russians, who, not the Bolsheviks. You had the legit Russians that could beat you and hurt you. Um, you know, you had Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson, which I wish I could have watched that team perform. I bet they were awesome. Um, not to mention the fabulous Freebirds. Like, all of those different tag teams, which were everywhere. And, of course, the fabulous ones as well. Wow, I can't believe I forgot them. Um, but it's it's amazing to me, because when you look at that, and that's just, uh, let's see, that's about 83 to 89. So every single year, you're looking at these different, like, tag team of the year and all that, and you're like, who the hell are these guys? Because... You know, sure, demolition is showing up in the rankings there as far as like runner up or second runner up, but I don't think they ever won tag team of the year. No. So and another another team that never won that I actually thought should have uh, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton, the Fantastics. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can remember one of the first matches I saw in NWA was the Midnight Express, um, and I want to say that they took on the Armstrongs. Wouldn't be surprised, but that was that was back with I mean Jim Cornette at his finest in managing. I mean this was I, I always felt like the Armstrongs never really got enough credence or enough enough of a run to to really because of how talented they were and their father that whole legacy they just never really focused on it the right way. Well, it's funny because when Brad under the Eric Bischoff regime. Um, went through so many damn names. And then, of course, they brought up the Armstrong curse, which I'm trying to figure out still where that came from, to the point where Brian <clears throat> James, BG, uh, Road Dog, actually wore a shirt on television, which was the silent rib to Brad down in WCW. The shirt, um, Road Dog Jesse James wore the T-shirt, look, ma, no curse. <laughs> oh, you didn't know? <laughs> Better call somebody. Actually, I discussed that with him one time at a show we were working together here in Alabama. And he just, he's like, yeah, I just, I can't stand what's going on there. It's like, you know, at at the worst up north, um, at least then you actually felt like you were able to make a contribution. And unfortunately, they're just not using Brad right, and I can't get him to make the jump. Well, I, I think the the issue with the Armstrongs, for me, is if you stack them up against all the rest of them, sure, they can wrestle like the rest of them and probably out-wrestle some of them, but I just don't think that their their gimmick puts them in the same league as the rest of them. Uh, not their talent. Not their abilities. I'm talking like... Because to me, they're just too too plain when you... When you like put them the, side by side with the Road Warrior. So were the Von Erichs. or the Rock and Rolls. Yeah, but see, the problem with the Von Erichs is they own Texas. Yeah, true. So, <laughs> and and you always had, I mean, you always had, they always had 
the the pleasure of going against the biggest villains in in the nation, right? So the, you had the Freebirds, you had Parsons. I mean, you had so many, you know. Ryan and Diaz, Gina Hernandez. Yeah, I, I mean, the Armstrongs yeah, never got the, they never got the real pleasure of, of getting a full on, you know, attack of a, of of a villain of that caliber. And it, and again, Texas villains, were, I I don't think were really rivaled except by the Horsemen. Well, I've got to come. I've got to come back on one on that part for one thing. Brad in particular. Um, where he was grossly misused under Eric Bischoff's regime in WCW. He was used extraordinarily well in the uh, Southeastern Championship Wrestling, Continental Championship Wrestling, and in Mid-South Championship Wrestling, yeah. Bill Watts area. Bill, Bill teamed him up with Wrestling 2, and lo and behold, it's like there was a great back and forth between territories when Bullet tur- when Bob turned heel and Brad was trying to plead his case from mid south, and then Brad turned heel, and Bullet was trying to plead his case. So it's like there, even even though it didn't happen on the national stage, and this is one I'm really surprised a lot of people don't talk more about the mid south era. I mean, that DVD set was real for a reason, and there were so many more stories that they could have put on that DVD set. You know, when you mention um, the just the different variations of tag teams and, and heels. You also have to remember that the the pieced together tag teams that WWF would throw in that were always the worst versus teams like Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes, or Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat, and or the dynamic dude, uh, not the dynamic dude. What am I thinking about? Um, uh, <laughs> you did dude. not just do that. What? Why would you put people power in this conversation? Okay, it was him. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me because, like, when you took tag teams and threw them together in WWF, it was just a collective groan. It still is to this day. But when you look at what WCW would do and what AWA would do, and you, like Scott Hall and Kurt Hennig, like, these it's were mega teams. These were all, huge. It's all packaging. What's because that? A lot, it's all It's all packaging. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people, because they don't know that much about the old AWA, don't remember the American Starship, mm-hmm. um, where Scott Hall actually got his rise to prominence as the Coyote, and Dan Spivey got his rise as the Eagle. Um, trying to remember if there was another part of that team, but you talk about thrown together tag teams. You know, the, oftentimes uh, the best mortal enemies make the best tandem because I remember watching mid South and UWF and Terry Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Williams would have battles. I mean, these two guys would rock the house and two of the best big men ever, especially Bam Bam. God love him. God, I miss still miss him. Um, I'm referring to Terry Bam Bam Gordy. A lot of people may remember him from the Freebirds. Well, this was back in the infancy of a lot of people being able to find out what the hell's going on in Japan, because even though they didn't get a run over here together, Dr. Death Steve Williams and Terry Bam Bam Gordy tore the house down in Japan. Uh, 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 they did get a run in the States, and they had a tremendous feud with the Steiners. That run they had against the Steiners was some of the best tag team wrestling and the most hard hitting that you could find. Period. Like 
it was hardcore before hardcore was even a thing. I mean, there was one other team that I really wish I could have seen more of. Unfortunately, one of the two is way, I, I think one's with us and one's no longer. But if you ever had a chance to watch Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody as a team, mm-hmm. holy hell. What about what about teams that that got put together that no one expected to take off? Like, look at the Hollywood Blondes. They were thrown together. They had nothing for Pillman or Austin. Nothing. And they put them together, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we, we really have something here. Yeah, I know. They're getting bigger than the A-list up there, and it's like, we got to kibosh that crap. <laughs> right? They're drawing numbers. I mean, Harlem Heat, you remember when they were – uh, the Ebony Experience in Global. Yeah. They were tremendous back then, too. Well, I mean, look at Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the cool <laughs> thing about Doom was both Butch Reed and Ron Simmons were legitimate badasses either way. But mm. they had outstanding careers as solo athletes both before and after the tag team. So they they broke the mold in all sorts of different ways. Ron, my favorite Florida State Seminole. (laughs) The only way I learned how who Bobby Bowden was was because of Ron Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. I remember on uh, Power Hour. Remember back with WCW Power Hour. So I remember the the night that Ron Simmons wins the title from Vader. Um, you know, they're like, and this just happened in Baltimore, Maryland. And they're, they're of course playing it and people are going ballistic. And then they go and they get comments from Bobby Bowden. I'm like, where the hell is this guy? (laughs) There's just nobody on TV talking about Ron Simmons. (laughs) I was such an idiot kid. And then what's funny is as time went on and Ron Simmons gained that much more notoriety, um, basically, and everybody knew about his background at Florida State. Even Florida State was forced, not necessarily strong arm forced, but it's like, hey, we really got to recognize this guy. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a multi-time All-American football player. All I mean, multi-time top-tier athlete that is getting national attention. Hey, Ron, remember you went to school here? Come join us sometime. <laughs> And after, and it's like whether it was with WCW or with um, WWE, yeah, it's like Ron Simmons shows up at Florida State games, dude. <laughs> and this is long before somebody said, "Damn." <laughs> and l- let's not forget the biggest. Let's just throw them together moment of all time with the Horsemen. Oh, we don't have time for all of y'all to do an interview. You all go out there one time and see what happens. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought for a minute you were gonna bring up Paul Roma. I was gonna have to hit you. No, oh, no, <laughs> no, uh uh-uh. No, because I mean everything after that initial interview, right, where they're all out there yeah. and it takes off is all orchestrated. So that I mean that's the only true you know. But uh, but again though, for just Having the having the blunder of go out there all of you at one time. I don't have enough air time for all of you. Mm-hmm. You all do it together, and boom, there you are. And much like Pillman and Austin, 
oh, you two are tag team. And then you can see them two conniving in the back. Uh, hey, let's go. Let's go see if we can't rile some people up. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just go be idiots. And sure enough, <laughs> the idiots win. So much, in fact, that they were forced to split them up. That failed. They tried to rekindle it with Brian Pillman by himself. He ends up leaving. Steve Austin, of course. Well, we know Steve Austin's story. I mean, but these guys were like, you know, the legitimate people that they were ignoring on a weekly basis. And when they did it with the Horsemen, they're like, yeah, sure, go on out there. Let's see what you got. You think half of them probably are figuring, no, this isn't going to work. And then they go out there, boom. It not only works, but it sets the business on fire. Yeah, well, I mean, originally they weren't even looking for anything. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, Arn makes the fateful comment, and they're all now arm in arm together, and you know, much like Austin and Austin's comment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all it takes—the right word at the right time—and you got a hit. Man, I could do—I could do just. Old school stuff all day long. Maybe we should just do that. We should just do like 12 weeks of just favorite old school stuff. We could do 83. Uh, What's 83? Highlights. What are the highlights? Eric Bischoff's. (laughs) 83? Bischoff is the uh, 83 weeks podcast. Oh, you're you're talking that. I was thinking the year 83. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Although, if you can, do I was that, like, uh, "Is that the? Is that Starcade? Is that WrestleMania one? And what, the, what happened in '83? What the? Shit? It's funny because you bring up uh, earlier in the show. You brought up the uh, Bash '86, Bash '87, and I think it was wasn't it '87 with the first War Games? I thought that was '88. No, maybe you're right. No, I think it's '87 because I, I I think the first touring Bash. All centered around Ric Flair. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and then the next one, um, I think the next year is when the War Games came out. Because <laughs> I actually am looking at an original edition uh, War Games VHS for the Great Ooh. American Batch. I've got it so, sitting in my, in my case. Are you talking like the uh, the Sports Illustrated one or whatever? No. I'm talking about the original VHS of the War Games. Oh, the original. Because I think I got like, uh, I think upstairs I got a video. I don't remember if it's the whole one or not, but I think it's more one of these uh, highlight reel ones. Right. So the Great Uh, American Bash in Atlanta, July 4th, 1987, was the Road Warriors, Nikita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes, and Paul Ellering defeating the Four Horsemen and J.J. Dillon. Right. Wow. And that was the horseman with Luger in it. Yep. Oh, Dang. really, Stan? You're going you're gonna to mark out like that's the highlight of the well, day? Well, in 87, I didn't think he was in there until 88. He was there. Because oh, he was an associate uh, for some time before he actually became a full-blown member. Uh. <clears throat> so, actually, there, there were technically like five horsemen but they didn't they were you know 
Luger's just an associate. <laughs> JJ manages this guy. I don't know why he's here, but you know, <laughs> we we brought muscle, but I don't know why. <laughs> Jeez, somebody brought Lex. God, I hate that guy. Jeez, Lex. <laughs> so, but yeah, he was he was for oh God, how long? I don't know, six months, seven months, maybe a little bit longer. He was like uh, an unofficial horseman. I think they even tried. Or, or in interviews, they would ask him about it after a while. And that that started to eventually to lead to tension. Well, because remember, <laughs> the advent of Lex Luger, theoretically, he was supposed to be affiliated with Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. And then, because remember, you had uh, Lex turn on Barry to go with the Four Horsemen officially. And then you had Barry turn on Lex to go with the Four Horsemen <laughs> Therefore, creating the greatest horseman lineup ever. God, you know, I'm so torn between lineup one and lineup three. Um, normally, I say the original is always the best because that was just <laughs> that was custom made. Arn and Arn and um, Oli tag team. Holly, mm-hmm. television champ, Rick World champ, or if the United States title was involved. Mm-hmm. And then when you had um, when Oli went out because of a storyline that just sounds so amazingly familiar as to why Ric Flair and um, Eric Bischoff had so much crap between them at one point in time, wanted to go watch my kids wrestle. Really? No, that was a thing, kids. Rick wanted to go watch his son wrestle. Oli wanted to go watch his son wrestle. Damn, twenty years later, um, and you bring in Barry. As the, because I never looked at Luger in a truly negative light. I just wasn't a big fan. I mean, there were times when Lex was good and times when Lex was. And then Barry, but you still never really had the truly solidified tag team during mm-hmm. either of those two runs. Well, during what? Luger and, and Barry? So two and three. Uh, I would, I would, I mean, to me, Arn and Tully would have been the the solidified tag team. Although number three, probably more than any, they would have been so interchangeable. You know, as far as like a tag team and singles, that I, I guess that might be why some people give number three the nod for best ever. Yeah, because Arn and Tully became that. <laughs> but at the same time, they still went round and round about the uh, television title, the U.S. title. Right, yeah. And Whereas then, with the first one, only you really couldn't put in a singles run. Well, you know why, don't you? Because he knew what the hell he was doing. Hey, <laughs> you better watch yourself. <laughs> you may run across that dude again one time. <laughs> Not only did he know what he was doing, he could also <coughs> tell time. Mm. And, and I think Ole could probably still take you in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Run me down his wheelchair. Uh, so that is going to do it here for another edition of Corner to Corner Wrestling Radio. So let's go ahead and throw the social media out there. Rob's on Instagram at RDHUWP. Brian is on Instagram. Uh, what's your Instagram again? Really? No, seriously. You I, just did it last week. 
is it is Tepish? I S Tepish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I S T E P I S H. Uh, then of course STRCP21 on Twitter at Stan Grub for myself at C2C Radio Show and C2C Radio Show.com for Twitter and for the website. And Eddie, what's coming up on the network this week? Uh, let's see. Oh, Lord. Beyond Ringside Live, Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. The To Be Determined show back in the saddle. Um, second time in a long time. This coming Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Central. Shooter's Gallery, Thursday night, 8.30, p.m., um, yeah, 8.30 Central. Um, this coming Saturday night, I will be with Peach State Wrestling Alliance in Bremen, Georgia, back behind the microphone, for the Shane Marks Invitational. Uh, of course, in my home market of Birmingham, come out and say hello on Friday nights, 9 o'clock p.m., Buffalo Wild Wings in Alabaster, Alabama, as I am the host for Friday Night Karaoke and the Just for Fun Karaoke Challenge. Um, at Beyond Ringside on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Beyond Ringside Live. Um, BeyondRingside.com is home as well as ProWrestlingRadio.net. And, of course, the Beyond Ringside Sports Radio channel on TuneIn and the TuneIn mobile app. And with that, I just want to leap. What's up? Wait. I got an idea. Okay, let's hear it. An idea. Eddie, you going to be here next week? Uh, more than likely. All right, so let's try this, right? Each person comes up with that one moment that either made you cry, was so shocking it made you cry, made you get sick. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. That one moment you'll never forget. Like the greatest thing you've ever seen in pro wrestling. I'm about to say, this is pro wrestling we're talking about, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just pro wrestling, Eddie. Um, <laughs> damn. Okay, I'm in. I'm doing this. We're we're doing this. This is a good idea, Brian. Get my answer. Well, we're gonna have to do this next week. That's yes, what I'm we're, to we're gonna do it next week. It'll give you a whole week to think about. Or we could just do it in Seacrest style. What will Eddie say is that particular moment? We'll find out. <laughs> Next week. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to do it for C2C Radio for Corner to Corner. One last thought. Three stories is entirely too much to carry anything repeatedly. I'm just just saying. It's a lot of stairs, damn it. That's it. I'm done. I'm tired. (laughs) Have a great night, everybody. We will see you next week. We're good. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.